0: Welcome back to the Oral Mess Podcast. My guest this week is Cal Meadows. Cal and I talk about musical influences, songwriting, and discovering new artists. Enjoy. Greetings and welcome back to the Oral Mess Podcast. I'm joined this week by composer, performer, singer, songwriter, and my niece, Cal Meadows. Hi, Cal.
1: Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, uh, love loving having you on. I'm so glad you you were volunteering to come on and, and talk to me. And we we have to get this out of the way since you are my niece. Um, we've been teasing you. I've been teasing you forever about the whole dead Kennedys reference. You know they've come for your uncool niece, but I can't Yay, call you that anymore.
1: No, I <laughs> especially now since you turned me on to the dead Kennedys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be in deep trouble if the suede denim secret police were to come take me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, at least you're cool now. So, you know. Oh, well, I
1: appreciate that. I finally have approval. It's taken me long enough.
0: (laughs) Uh, You've always been cool. So, yeah, um, I thought we could talk about, um, you know, since you mentioned, um, you know, getting people into music and that sort of thing. I thought we could start off talking about influences, just, you know, influence in general. So, you know, you're a musician. Um, I know you've been working on like a little, you know, private project to, to sort of get some songs out there, um, you know, out of your head and, and into the world, which I think is fantastic. Um, you know, I'm I'm a, a, a reformed guitar player.
1: <laughs>
0: so, what um, church
1: does that go to? Is that Eric Clapton, or is that a little less cream side? <laughs> no, it's a little
0: less cream side. I feel like if, if I had to pick, it would be the if I had to pick from that era and and that sort of oov, I would say the Church of Jimmy Page.
1: Jimmy, I mean, you can't go wrong with Led Zeppelin. Too.
0: Sloppy but soulful. You know, I mean, that the dude is just. Unreal.
1: The Sonic worlds – I want to talk – I want to go back to that. I want to put a pin in that because the Sonic worlds okay. that man creates are masterful.
0: Oh, for sure. Oh, we can definitely talk about Zeppelin. Oh,
1: we're going to talk about Zeppelin, I feel like.
0: Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so influences and – you know, not only you as as a musician, but just in general, your, your musical taste and, and how you growing up got to where you are. Um, you know, I know you and I always had music in common. Um, both your parents are very musical people. You know, your dad, I think, you know, plays. Your mom doesn't. You know, obviously, my, my sister. Hi, if you're watching. Um, she's
1: watching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, she was also responsible. For, and I've said this in almost every episode so far. She's been... Responsible for a lot of my musical upbringing, you know, between her and my brother, um, you know, me as a kid, like I, I listened to what they listened to, right? And and back in the day, before the, you know, you kids and your internet, um, it was all radio, or you had to go buy records, right? So it was a whole different world, and and you were a little bit more limited, I think, a lot of what you listened to. So, where what were some of your earliest memories of? music and hearing songs that you liked? And, you know, what was one, one of the first artists that really caught your ear and, and you wanted to hear more of their stuff? And, you know, how did that start to shape some of your your musical taste?
1: That's a great question. I was raised on a steady diet of the 60s and 70s and 80s radio hits. Uh, my father is radio pioneer Pete Salant, and my mother uh, started her career as a broadcaster herself and also an aficionado of all kinds of hits and beyond. Um So I was raised on a steady diet of the Beatles and the Beach Boys from my dad and then, you know, getting to know my mother's taste a little more with America, um, Dan for sure – Uh um, things like Ark of a Diver, Steve Winwood. She's a big fan of that song. She's turned me on to a lot of Luther recently that I've been really into. Ooh. Um so just a lot of a lot of really heavy um radio hit influences. So starting off with some more Open track, more like common Beatles songs, like, you know, your Hey Jude, your Blackbird, uh, and then, um, you know, growing up with those around me and then taking some time on my own to learn, you know, when I was a young teenager and when I was a preteen, listening to things like Long, Long, Long is my favorite Beatles song. And that's like a really great, like, no, you go to a party like, yeah, my favorite Beatles song is Long, Long, Long. And they're like. The long, 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 long <laughs> <laughs> you like the deep cuts from the wet album, all right, you gonna go back to the psychiatric hospital. <laughs> but- um, so I actually ended up making a mix CD for my father of my favorite Beatles songs. And he's like, these are some really deep cuts you got there. And I think it's because I was started on that journey of learning that sonic grammar, learning what made those pop hits really successful, those chord changes that sell really well, the interesting lyrics, the form and all of that. And then really getting into, okay, now that I have a working knowledge of this stuff, I'm really into the stuff that breaks those rules a lot, especially when an artist like the Beatles, I mean, obviously we're talking like ground floor with this, but when they can get really experimental and still have it, have some reference to that grammar that they once had. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to be here listening to Revolution 9 all the way through every time I listen to the White Album. I don't, uh, you know, we are all trying to avoid our nightmares in this day and age. But when you can still hear hints of this is what made these people really big, uh, in their more B side and more experimental work, I'm really impressed by that. So, for example, we'll take like Pet Sounds, which is, you know, the Beach Boys' most iconic work and probably has influenced in some way or shape or other every successful indie or alternative artist in my generation, whether consciously or not is another question. Um, but my favorite song from that is I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Uh, <laughs> Because it takes so much of, like, that harmonic grammar of the Beach Boys that we've come to know and love, your major seventh chords that are stacked to heaven and, and beyond. But it, it's kind of like a proto-emo song. I You know, I, I wouldn't be yeah. out of place to hear, like, Mitski covering that, you know? <laughs> OG Sad Boy music. Um, But there's yeah. still... That that sonic grammar, that harmony, and what makes the Beach Boys the Beach Boys is still present in that more offbeat work. And I think that really got me. And now when I listen to music, I find myself drawn to some of the hits uh, and, you know... Perhaps deeper hits than people, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 29 in April, spoiler alert, uh, would really get into. Um, but I'm, I'm really into B sides. I find that, yeah. uh, and, and growing up with the A sides has gotten me into the B sides more. <laughs>
0: I am also a B side kid, always was, you know, because growing up playing records especially, they were actual B sides, right? Whoa. So you know, yeah listening to the, the hit, but then being like, okay, you know, I paid, I don't even remember what forty-fives cost, a dollar ninety nine maybe. You know, I paid a dollar ninety nine. For this song, and there's something on the other side. So damn straight, I'm gonna get my money's worth and flip Absolutely. this thing over and see what it is. And you know, some of the B sides were. I remember having a 45 of Atomic by Blondie. Oh you know, God, total disco bop, great yeah. song. But I remember on the B side was a cut called "Die Young, Stay Pretty." I don't think Die it Young was Stay a hit. It
1: was on B side.
0: I believe it was. If That's I'm remembering my side. my 45, yeah. So that like you said, sort of got me into this, like, okay, well, what else does this, this artist have to offer, right? Because it's not just what I'm hearing on the radio. And you, you buy the album and take it home, and there might have been one hit, but there's nine or 10 other songs to explore.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And it's often when you give those songs a chance, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll be listening to a, a fresh album and there'll be a song that doesn't really capture my interest the first time, but when I'm in the right like, head space or in the right physical space, it just hits, it, it hits different, to borrow a phrase. <laughs> um, and I, I really enjoy that. And it's it's actually been very surprising to me what has been B-Sides. Uh, and I, you just saw a good example of that because you know I wasn't really around during the record era. A lot of people of my generation collect vinyl, but uh, I don't have collect- – Final kind of paycheck. <laughs> so or kind of space. So I prefer uh I'm a Spotify nerd um trying to branch out, obviously, because Joni's not on there anymore, which is true. I
0: know. And Neil Young's still off, right? He's still doing yeah, his own thing. I mean thing for principle
1: reasons, but i'm Joni, if you're seeing this, come back. We miss you. Come <laughs> home, we miss you. Um, but also um gosh, I had her I had a point with that. We're talking about oh, um, And also, when you read the memoirs of a lot of these musicians, they say, "Oh, my best work was buried in the albums because you know the 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 record companies really." And I'm a big Wilco person. um, And Jeff Tweedy talks often about how some of his best work on albums like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot are the songs that the record companies hated the most and didn't want to promote the most. So, and a lot of ways, I feel like by engaging with this less popular music, we're really getting to the heart of what the artist really wanted to convey. And and as someone who's aspiring, to that, that's really meaningful to me.
0: Oh, I agree. And I think um, you kind of said this, but I think a lot of these artists are pressured by their management or their record companies to write hits, right? So they're writing stuff that, that they really want to get out there and that really expresses what they're feeling or what they're thinking or, you know, a concept or whatever. But it's like, yeah, I'm not hearing a hit. So they, they almost sometimes have to go back and, and write something that's commercial or popular or, you know, right. whatever. I think especially in the, the 70s and the 80s, I think that was a pretty big thing. And, you know, in today's world, you can record a song on your laptop and release it without a record. A company so nobody can tell you what to do <laughs> right. if, you're
1: trying to, if your goal isn't commercial success for sure or if it's yeah. success i mean obviously there's a lot of roots to success and that there would have been i mean i like to think that uh you know fats domino would have loved tiktok because <laughs> 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 he was always I, uh, improvising stuff in bars
0: <laughs> i never thought of that wow I'm trying to picture Fats Domino on TikTok, and I, I've got a mental picture. So I love it's,
1: it. it. It's vivid. You just got to go there. <laughs> 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 or anybody, any musician who is known for doing a lot of improvising, I think would have done well on like TikTok Live, getting all these, you know, uh, gifts from these teenage kids. <laughs> <being> like...
0: <laughs> Definitely. Uh,
1: do you know about uh, Imagine if Ninja got a low taper fade? Do you know about this? No oh my gosh um there's oh i can't remember his name i'm terrible there's and I, I i didn't know about him before this happened but there's this guy who went on tiktok live with just his like auto-tune microphone and just started like improvising songs about his life and started getting like really deep into his like history with his grandfather who gave him his first guitar and then he started crying live so to distract himself Aww. he sang some line about like um the streamer i guess he's a streamer i'm not hip with this stuff ninja and he's like imagine if ninja got a low tape or fade and that like became a meme and after this guy like spent hours on life is pouring his heart out and i'm like that's dumb and i would have been really into this
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> Domino would absolutely have been a would meme
1: crushed it
0: <laughs> uh, yes a thousand percent
1: but yeah those i think those influences really led to my love of what could you know ungenerously perhaps be called dad rock now uh your dance <laughs> your wilcos uh your 70s radio writers you know <laughs>
0: So when did you I mean, if you remember, when did you kind of cross over from listening to your parents' music to like really discovering stuff on your own? And um, you know, one of the things that we talked about leading up to this was um I used to make you mixed CDs, like, you know, yes. years ago, right? Like when you were younger because I felt the need to to impress upon you some of my musical favorites some good because
1: stuff to listen to.
0: Yeah, but like, when did you think? Like, when did when do you think that kind of happened? Where you started to to get away from okay, Beach Boys, Beatles, you know, America, Steely Dan, and and you know, how did you get into discovering stuff? Because again, you came up pre Spotify, also, right? So right, it was yeah. a little bit harder to discover new music. So yeah. how did that happen?
1: So there were a few ways. First of all, your influence cannot be understated or overstated. It was it was very. Uh, you put some just very esoteric tracks in front of me. Uh, there was like Mayan Pilot by Splashdown. Still, I yes. listen to it all the time. Brand new heavies. Uh, also, um, Ruby Room by the Soul Coughing. Oh, yes. Album that is a big favorite of yours that I will take with me forever. Um, and I just I just love that album. Uh and so that kind that kind of stuff kind of had me thinking about what I might be looking for. So I got a lot of um influence actually from Starbucks used to do this program where they put out like a free Apple like a iTunes yes. Apple of the week card. I yep. f- I've done that shit. Uh, so I always downloaded those right away. Um, and also I'd hear people talking about music at school and I'd write it down and I'd put it into iTunes and I'd try to, you know, stock up when I had the iTunes gift cards and I would like Google around for stuff like, oh, I like this. Uh, I'm gonna Google this person's name and see what else they did. And, you know, some other artists would come up. The algorithm was, the machine learning level was like much more primitive than it is now, but it was out there in its nascency. It was doing its thing. Um go yeah, on YouTube and search this music. There was also uh, you know comments suggesting like, Oh, if you like this, you might like this. Um so I definitely built a lot of that up, but as soon as there were kind of more discovery avenues, like I remember using Stumble Upon to find music back when StumbleUpon Upon was a thing. Uh, mm. Rest in peace, comrade Stumble Upon. <laughs> um, I remember using like YouTube Radio. Pandora was a good way to find music um, before Spotify's algorithm fed you breakfast, um, and then when Spotify's nascent algorithms started up it helped a lot more like playlist sharing and it was an easier way than just like you know mailing your niece a compact disc (laughs) right many people under the age of 20 now have seen a laser disc makes you wonder um like you know what is that icon on the save button (laughs) is heaven for fend um I used a lot of that technology, though, very early on. Um, and I was also – my friends and I would trade mixed CDs in high school sometimes, I went to an arts high school part-time. And uh, that's how I got into, introduced to, like, the Shins and the Arctic Monkeys because I had a friend who was really hip to them. And, of course, I was spreading your gospel at school and, you know, <laughs> got some questions about, like, what uh, Babylon Mystery Mother Harlots, for example, meant. So that was some fun Google searches that were done in high school uh, from Ruby Vroom. Um, and we would trade jazz – um, recommendations as well because I, I still am to some degree. But when I was in high school, I was a very devoted jazz musician, a jazz flute player. Um, so we would trade like, oh, the solo on this is really cool, and I'm really inspired by this lick or this this riff. Um, and I got to know, you know, again, there's your Fats Domino, your Cannonball Adderley. Um, and all kinds of other amazing artists from just like talking to my friends at that school I feel really blessed to have had that opportunity because otherwise I, <laughs> I don't know what I'd, I might be, still be in Beatles Beach Boys America land and so yeah, sometimes on a hard day at work it's kind of like coming home <laughs> to listen to those artists again but definitely um, like you said it took some I didn't have to resort to going to some grungy record store and listening to like some, <laughs> some randos recommendations but I also had friends at my academic high school that I went do part time who are more like metalheads. Um so in high school I definitely got my Metallica, my Black Sabbath, Fixes, um Opeth, a lot of people into Opeth. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I I really like them. Lamb of God, um mostly mostly black and thrash. And then as I got into college, a lot of my friends were into like black and death metal and I'm like, this is a little too intense for me, but I get what you're cook- <laughs> I appreciate the musicianship for sure. Um and I would say that undergrad and college, when, again, these ad- algorithms were a little kinder and a little more well-developed, was when I started to really break away and have, like, a really, really robust library. Um, and even still, I'm trading music with friends. My friends and I send music to each other every day, probably, multiple times a day.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, same. Um and I'm always sharing playlists or getting playlists or discovering new playlists from people that I, that I talk to online and stuff and, you know, kind of see what they're into. A yeah. um, couple things that you mentioned that I wanted to sort of circle back on. So A, Ruby Vroom by Soul Coughing, still one of my favorite albums of all right. time. Um, I finally got around to reading um, – M. Dowdy wrote a book. Um, no, really? Mar- he's Mike, Mike Dowdy. I think he's, he's going by now. But he wrote two memoirs. One was called like – Life of Drugs or something with drugs. I forget the title of it. Um, but he basically just sort of gives a little bit of a – it's like a little bit of an auto bio, but he talks a lot about how Soul Coffin came about and – um how he wrote some of the the poetry to some of the songs, and of course, you know lots of drugs involved as as the title would, would suggest,
1: no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you should definitely read it. I haven't I gotten around to the the second one yet, I think he wrote like a follow up or like a sequel, so to speak, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna get that soon and cool. and dig into that one too because it was just mind blowing like you know seeing how the band came together and um you know, it's kind of the, the crazy adventures, I think, that they kind of had, you know, for the few years that, that they were kind of uh, the indie darlings, you know. Um, the other thing is, you mentioned, like, not going to grungy record stores. I had to go to grungy record stores. I but was I had to s- about
1: that. Too. I just said a little bit about how that went down.
0: Well, you know, it was really a lot of the corporate stuff because, you know, when I was younger, I worked in the mall in summertime and stuff like that. So it was like Sam Goody and, you know, that sort of vibe. So it was totally commercial music. But um, there was a little indie CD shop in Margate, you know, a couple towns over from where I lived. And um, there was a guy from Philly who owned the store. And he was probably – I mean, we thought he was like an old guy, you know, back in the day. He was probably my age now, like 50 or 50-something. 50 and he just was like just this cranky old bastard. like of he. But But he had the most developed ear for music and he carried a little bit of everything, but he really focused on – alternative indie we're talking this is like i don't know 93 94 probably so i think he turned me on to the breeders first album because i don't think i was aware of you know who they were and what was going on and then you know obviously x pixies and all that but um he was really famous for you'd go in, you'd ask him for a CD, like something that was a little more mainstream, and he'd be like, ah, you don't want that crap. Here, listen to this instead. Like, and he'd hand you something and be like, look at the liner notes for a minute. Okay, give it back to me. I'm, I'm going to put it on. I'm going to play it for you. And he would like just open the shrink wrap and like throw a CD on um, and be like, this is what you're taking home. I'm saying, you know, you're, here, I'm going to bag it. Just, you know, give me 10 bucks and you'll take it home with you today. Like, he was that kind of guy. And he, over time, I kind of got to know him a little bit because I used to go there all the time, and I would just spend like an hour in the store just listening to stuff and you know bullshitting with him about music. And I got a lot of really cool recommendations and a lot of discoveries through through him. Um, and he was actually able to order me stuff too. So like if I went someplace and you know I wanted the specific single that I knew how to B side that I was interested in or something like that, you know he could get it for me. Um, so that there was that part of it. Music dealer. Um, yeah, pretty much.
1: It was like, Definitely. you know, first one's free.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. But um
0: and there's something everyone else everyone your
1: age has a story like that. Like, oh my guy was named Pete and he made me listen to Sex Pistols forty five times before he'd sell me a clash album. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, my friend Amy and I, and I mentioned her, I think, in, in a previous episode also, but we used to just make each other tapes of of stuff. You know, we mix make mixtapes. Um, we would just copy albums for each other, um, you know, whatever whatever we decided that the other person needed to hear. And she – was probably a big influence on me in a lot of ways because her musical taste was just way beyond her years. I mean, like we're talking, we're in high school and she's listening to like Velvet Underground, <laughs> you know, which you know, I mean, wasn't really like a cool thing, I guess, in in, in the late eighties or whatever. Oh, it totally is now. You know, they're they're back in the in in the limelight, I guess, but. You know, if she she would make a mixtape with like Velvet Underground, Tom Waits, and then she would go into like the waitresses, and then back to like Depeche Mode, and then over to some other you know random ass like you know uh, I think she put like Mac the Knife by Bobby Darren on a oh, mixtape wow. one time. Just in, yeah, like I mean, crazy stuff, right? Oh, yeah, and,
1: enteric, yeah,
0: and so not only did she give me the inspiration by adding specific songs and artists but like I learned the art of making esoteric mixes from her and realizing like it doesn't matter like you don't have to follow a theme you don't have to stick to a certain kind of music like anything goes right and she used to make the best covers and you know I used to make them for her too but like we would just chop shit up and cut and paste yeah but you didn't get to have any of my covers that were like handmade like all mine were digital by the time you were born because everything was on CD and it was all you know mixes from iTunes and stuff but we used to literally you know cut stuff out of magazines and, you know, glue stick it onto the cassette sleeve and, you know, handwrite stuff with, like, a Sharpie.
1: Like, it was just like... Not in Canva anymore. (laughs) Right, exactly. You're going, this font is slightly different from the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was a real art to that, and I think a lot of people my age are interested in getting back to that kind of DIY ethic. Um, obviously, like the the means are less cool now that physical media is starting to decline. But I have a lot of friends who are physical media heads um, still, and would probably like die for a chance to have a, a CD like that. I mean, insofar as you can play a CD in a computer <laughs> now, the laptops don't even have CD drives native anymore, and I'm like, where is where do you put the disc in this thing? They don't
0: – and most cars don't even have CD players anymore. They're, they're slowly phasing them out. Um,
1: I don't know that mine does actually –
0: yeah, I think uh, our car does, but you know, I'll be damned if I'm going to put CDs in a in a case and and bring them in the car with
1: me, right? Like album just... of books,
0: hymnal. Yeah. Oh, I used to have the one that went on the visor. You know, the little like oh, wow, six yeah. CD thing that clipped to the visor right. and you just right. slide them out of the slot. So whatever, so you could do it while you're driving and you know not wreck. So that was that was that was good.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about Zeppelin again, though. Uh, yeah. My mom actually turned me on to Led Zeppelin. She's, uh, she I heard, um, all of my love on the radio one time when I was with her. And I was like, what is this? And, you know, I'd already known Zeppelin from like, Black Dog was really popular when I was growing up, uh, with my, in my family. Granted, of course, I had no idea what it was about. I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is a so fun about a dog. Rack on. Um, but after that, I kind of took my own initiative and I'm really into, um, No Quarter by them. And mm-hmm. I think, the sonic worlds that again that they're able to create on just Houses of the Holy writ large and also Led Up on Four really influenced my writing a lot. Um just that like really ambient the the so in music we call it an ostinato. It's a repeated pattern that repeats throughout. So the, the da, da, da 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 uh I use that a lot. <laughs> my compositions and i think i was heavily influenced by that because i was like oh this repetitive motif is really what's the glue that's holding this like freaky song together uh, <laughs> and like you know the rain song and and all of that and even in cashmere i mean the iconic den in it den in it and the really driving beat i i think i just took that really personally <laughs> 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 so like all of my art <laughs> um cool. so it comes from unexpected places i mean um you know i, I think he's all of them were kind of geniuses in that regard
0: yeah and i think all part. four had a level of of genius you know that they all sort of were were equal you know in, yeah, in and yeah
1: influence on me too as i started learning bass. so
0: oh yeah big time i mean his his playing was heavy and light at the same time like he was so powerful but he had feel and that's really hard to pull off as a drummer
1: it's rare yeah yeah and I would just play with his drum tracks when I was playing bass. And I was like, you know, he's not even – I'm he's influencing my bass playing so much from even back here. And I'm just – the pocket they have is so – and the other band I was really into when I was growing up was Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: don't discount saw, Guns N' Roses.
1: I saw the Appetite for Destruction t-shirt all around my school and I'm like, what are they on about? Uh, and, of course, this is another band where, like, in early high school I had no idea what they were singing about until I read Slash's uh, autobiography and I was like – Suddenly I know too much about what this is about. Um, but their best album, in my opinion, isn't even Appetite for Destruction. It's User Illusion too. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They also, speaking of some fun deep cuts um, and also some more songs with driving riffs that repeat throughout the whole song. <laughs> so uh, I remember, you know, hearing his stuff. And when I found out that Slash did, um, I think it was Slash that did the solo on Beat It. Uh, no, was Michael that, Jackson. It's yeah. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Okay. Well, Eddie, I was going to say, and to segue into Van Halen, when I found out that <laughs> it was Eddie Van Halen who did that, there was also an iconic picture of me somewhere on, on the internet wearing my 5150 shirt uh, with my hair like puffed really big because I thought that was like the new hotness when I found out about like 80s hair. I was like, I must have this, even though it's <laughs> 2009 and I'm in high school. Um I got really into. I'm definitely more of a, a David Lee Roth person than a Sammy Hagar person.
0: Oh, me too. You, you can't. I mean, uh, Sammy Hagar's version, like Van Hagar, has its merits, Sammy but Hagar. Van Halen to me will always be David Lee Roth a thousand yeah. percent. But Guns N' Roses, it's funny you mentioned that because I wrote them off as another L.A. hair band, and you know, as again, well, I was.
1: You know, they got their moments of that. I think
0: they do, but the funny thing was, I wasn't really gonna give them a chance, I don't think. And I was friends, shockingly, in high school with this girl who was, I can't remember her name now, but she was like a punk rock girl. She had like a leather jacket with the spikes and, you know, I think she had a partial shaved side of her head and super cool. Um, wish I could remember her name now, but, you know, it's escaping me. Um, anyway, she... One day we were talking about music in the cafeteria and she was like, are you hip to Guns N' Roses? And I'm like, you mean like those hair metal guys? And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> she said, on the surface, yes, okay. But here, take the tape. I have it. She had it in her backpack. Take it home. Give it a listen. Make a copy if you want. Come back and tell me what you think. And I went appetite? home and listened to it. Yeah, it was Appetite. And they just had like a punk aesthetic they underneath punk the, the so metal. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, it. wow, cool.
1: Yeah. They did a lot of garage recordings, uh, back when they were the, the LA roses and the, the guns and before they came together. Yeah. So I think they really took a lot of that with them. And there's a lot of like heavy distortion. Um, in particular, Duff McKagan, their bassist uses a lot of, um, distortion on his bass lines, uh, and also chorus pedals on the bass line, which like you yeah. know, you're really only hear in like the upper octaves for the most part. But that, those kinds of tactics feel directly taken from like a lot of the like Hammersmith UK, Punk scene bands, and he would use like these giant cabinets that of of you you never would guess uh, that they're using the same the same stuff that the punks used. But it's it's the setup was incredibly impressive. And once Izzy Stradlin actually responded to me on Twitter, uh, really, I was like, oh, like I'm a big GNR fan, and he's like, oh, like keep playing like you're so like good 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 job being a youth fan. Uh, so I have that saved to my computer somewhere. But that was really cool. There, there, he's their rhythm was their rhythm guitarist. In yeah. the pre um, Chinese democracy slash whatever fresh hell Axel has made of the band since. <laughs> we all know met- like democracy is never going to come out. So.
0: I, I know. It's like it's a lost cause at this point.
1: It's a weird uh, album. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. Shackler's Row no. kind of goes off, though.
0: I have not listened to it. Maybe I should. Um, maybe maybe you should I'll-
1: just for the lols. But there's yeah. <laughs> definitely some, again, some probably not hits that I'm a big fan of um, that just make really dynamic use. Again, of sonic spaces, um, that's another big thing in my art is I just try to evoke places and take the listener on a on a journey in a space that might not be where they are right now. So just taking them into fully enveloping them and I think that's one of the, the few one of the very few things that Chinese Democracy does well because it ain't the lyrics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh true story by the way, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I met Izzy Stradlin.
1: No shit.
0: Yeah. Um I, I won't tell you the whole story on on the pod, but I can tell you the whole thing at, at, yes. offline. But long story short is that I was Um, working security at a Rolling Stones concert in 89 in Atlantic City and of course I had like you know backstage access the whole time and it was the couple of nights on the Steel Wheels tour where they brought in a bunch of guest stars to Stone. So it was Izzy Stradlin and um, Axel were there. I didn't meet Axel. I don't think he was like hanging out in the backstage. I think he just like came on stage and then left or whatever Um, but uh, Clapton was there. I met Clapton. Um, I actually escorted Keith Richards out of the venue. Like I walked next to him on the way to their security detail to go to their cars. He wasn't and getting the, kicked
1: out. No, it,
0: right. was cr- it was crazy. It was like, you know, and, and I was like, I don't know how old I was. I was 18 or 19. It was it was nuts. It was like just unreal. And um, Izzy was like the coolest person. Like He's I was okay. afraid to go say hi to Eric Clapton because I figured he'd be like, who the hell are you? Get away from me. <laughs> um, and he was just cordial. He shook my hand and he was like, oh, yeah, hey, nice to meet you, whatever. And I kind of turned around and kept doing what he was doing. But Izzy took a minute and signed an autograph. Um and he was like, oh hey, it's so great that you love. Gu-. Yeah, I was like, I love Guns N' Roses. He's like, oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much. Like he was just like so genuine. It was it was great. It was refreshing. He's a real you guy.
1: Know? He was definitely yeah. the least addled of them, uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of by a long shot. <laughs> so, Did I- you
0: ever hear his solo album?
1: Oh, is this the acoustic album, Fire?
0: No, no. Oh, not solo, but with the Juju Hounds.
1: No, with the Juju Hounds. No, I have to get. Oh, oh you
0: have to get that album. Yeah, okay, I'll also, send you that
1: acoustic album, Fire. It's really okay. good.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's not
1: much of a singer, but it's got some no. really cool riffage on it.
0: He he, pretty much apes Keith Richards as a singer. I feel like he's he's going for that that raspy, you know, sort of. Yeah, <sighs> it
1: it's not a joke <laughs> that fits everyone. It's just not, and that's okay. <laughs> I barely fit, fit Keith Richards at times.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, and and Keith's still kicking, so more power to him.
1: Yeah, honestly. But yeah, so... that was that was how that developed, and now I'm all over the place again. So.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, same. I mean, and, you know, we we were kind of coming back around to, you know, modern times and Spotify and algorithms. And, you know, I've said this a few times in, in previous episodes, but it bears repeating. Um, I find Spotify to be a blessing and a curse because okay. – I love being able to have a song in my head and okay, I can go play that now because I don't have to go dig it out and put a CD on or go buy it in the store. I can literally just go to my phone or my computer and dial it up in like 10 seconds and it's playing and I'm happy. Um, But on the other side of that equation, (laughs) I feel like I kind of have a little bit of musical ADD. So like I'll be listening to a song and it'll it'll remind me of another song. So I'll skip to that song and Mm -hmm. I'll put a playlist on and I'm like, I don't feel like listening to this right now. So I'll skip half of the other songs on the playlist. Playlist, even though I made the playlist on purpose to listen to all the songs. And it's just like, it's, it's terrible. But at the same time, it's, it's fun because, you know, it's, I, I'm using it for not only discovering new things, but also for revisiting old things because, you to, know, yeah.
1: Things that I completely have forgotten about until like the algorithm serves them to me sometimes, like, Oh, what was it? I'm going to, excuse me for being rude. I'm going to pull my phone out and figure out what it was. that uh, I heard once like on the radio at a grocery store once, and now it's become like half of my personality.
0: <laughs> I have a whole stop and shop playlist. Every time I go to stop and shop and I'm bopping around that I hear music coming over the the PA system, I will Is whip like out my phone and Pro put – yeah, it's what you'd expect, but they they pull out some some deep cuts like some stuff that they you do. wouldn't think would heard, be in store. And Always
1: the Sun by the Stranglers. Oh, okay. And that goes nicely with the rest of that stuff. Like they do play some deep cuts because that's not a radio hit in any way, shape, or form. Right. I don't know any of the Stranglers other work, but I, I swear to God, I heard that once at like a Big Y world class market in New Haven County, Connecticut, and like, and I was like, oh man, here I am back in you know two thousand whatever with this song, but. They do play some deep tracks in supermarkets if you care to listen to them. Um, I think a lot of folks have their podcasts on these days yes. that. But, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to add this to my playlist immediately. Mm-hmm. My liked music.
0: I wish they would play The Clash Lost in the Supermarket like at least once a day. Like it, it should be like required. But then we you could know? no
1: longer shop happily. <laughs> <laughs> They should do that, though. Um, but that might be a little on the nose. And I think now they're starting to integrate a lot of more Top 40 stuff. Um, as if anyone follows Top 40, you know, in this twenty twenty fourth year of the Common Era. I have no idea. I wouldn't know anything about what the hits are like if I didn't have some, like, adjacency to TikTok, so... <laughs>
0: yeah me too and you know having my daughter and her being 18 um she just turned 18 and you know her basically living on tiktok for the last few years yeah, um, my wife
1: and my friends are all really into it
0: yeah and it's gotten me into it and same thing like she finds a lot of old music <laughs> on TikTok, oh, like she- <laughs>
1: bar by billy joel had a moment on there
0: she loves that song um great song. you know it's it's it's, it's a great song a
1: breakdown in the middle
0: oh yeah who's playing trumpet on that it's it's actually uh, um I can't think of his name. It's actually a famous jazz trumpeter that that does out. that that solo. Yeah, go we'll ahead and that up real quick. go ahead and Google that, uh, yeah. please. Um,
1: it's a fantastic song, though.
0: So she'll come downstairs, like singing some obscure or you know semi obscure thing from like the seventies or the eighties, and uh, even like nineties alternative. And my wife and I are like, "Where did you hear that song?" And She's like, uh, "TikTok."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad's like, "How do you know all of this music?" And I'm like, "The internet." <laughs> Freddie Hubbard. It's Freddie Hubbard. Freddie
0: Hubbard. Right, right.
1: It doesn't surprise me, though. He did some other um, studio work for Billy Joel around then, so it doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. That's a really well, good
1: one. And also, like, Hand in Pocket is got really popular on there. Um, and what else was it? I'm smart, but I'm stupid. Oh, uh, I should know this.
0: Oh, Alanis Morissette.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I know it's Alanis, but I was like, trying to remember the name um, of
0: hand, It's called Hand in My Pocket, right? Is that the title?
1: Yeah, so Hand in Pocket by Pretender got popular, and then Hand in My Pocket got popular by – Right. Uh, so a lot of kids in their pocket – uh, but not the, not the kind of, <laughs> of them section pocket we'd like them to be getting into. Um, and I also think that it's a really good platform for a lot of indie creators to share their work. I would never do that because, it's, you know, barring things like this, I hate being on camera. <laughs> so I don't think that would be a platform that I would distribute on necessarily. But I do think it's a good way for young charismatic bands and stuff to get noticed. And in a, in a society where promoters aren't as big of a thing and, you know, getting booked as an indie band it seems like it's a little more difficult. I haven't been in a band since I was in college, but... Soon, hopefully, soon. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah, so, I'm that's rated again. Nice. And what
0: what what's driving you that way? And you know, what are your plans? Like, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah. So, um, I've been just reminiscing a lot about how much fun I had. I played in an indie band called Accidental Ghost in undergrad. Our music is on Spotify. Uh, I am singing singing on some of it, but I mostly play bass there and I just miss making music with other people. I was at a point in high school and in college where I was performing with somebody pretty much every day. Um, and I haven't gotten a chance to do that very much, be it on flute, which is my primary instrument or bass or anything like that. I'm really grateful that I married a classically trained soprano who also loves to sing and we sing together and jam all the time, but I want to, I want to get back on stage. I miss that a lot. So anybody out there in the Richmond, Virginia metropolitan area, uh who likes all of this crowd that I've been talking about and wants to be the next boy genius <laughs> maybe with less drama <laughs> call me. <laughs>
0: Nice. I will link Accidental Ghost on Spotify oh, in wow. the in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. I i love that stuff that you that you did. I remember the, I forget the name of the song. I think it was maybe the first song on the it was like an EP, right? It wasn't a full yeah, album. Yeah, it was an EP. Yeah. yeah. My friend yeah. Sam
1: recorded it for his capstone project, Sam Krauss. Uh, right, right. Where was the first track on that? I don't even know what the track listing is. Oh, yeah, you and me. That's the one. That, oh, any other way. That's one of the ones I wrote. So I wrote okay. any other way, you and me. And I wrote the melody for what I thought I had. Um, the, the last recording loud and clear on this EP is not the best recording of it, but yeah, I miss writing songs with other people because one time, um, my friend Sam just wrote a riff and I'm like, give me like 15 minutes and I'll write some lyrics for that. And it ended up being you and me, which is one of the tracks on there. I mean, it was pretty good. Um, definitely lyrically a product of me being, uh, 20. <laughs> <laughs> I have since advanced, obviously, in my craft, um, that I look forward to sharing that at some point. Maybe I'll come on again in the future and I'll have some wicked new EP to show you that I've done. Um, yes. But yeah, I've been trying to – my original idea was to write a song every two weeks and send it out to some friends, but I decided to make it monthly until May just to accommodate my increasingly chaotic schedule. Um, But I've been trying to be more generative this year, and I've been trying to – one of the things that – so I also am loosely following this Coursera class um, by Pat Pattinson, who uh, Ghost writes a lot for um, folk and rock artists especially, and he has this Coursera course. uh, He teaches at Juilliard, I think it is – um, about how to write lyrics and i've been kind of loosely following that and some of his books and jeff tweedy's book um how to write one song which i cannot recommend enough it is a fantastic book um all of jeff tweedy's books are wonderful including world within a song which he talks about the song worlds that a lot of his favorite songs transport him to so definitely check that out um yeah all three of his books are delightful. But I've been trying to just put some words out there, put some music out there, um, and try to get back in the game because I have not had skin in the game for far too long now. And it's things like the pandemic and, you know, my restlessness yeah. that made me want to get back into that. Have you been playing at all since...
0: A little here and there, um, yeah, not as much as I'd like to. And I also, at some point, you know, need to just get a couple other old guys together and you know find like a weekly jam session or something because I'm I'm itching to play with other people. My problem is, yeah. I can absolutely just sit and plunk at the guitar myself, but it's just not as much fun. It's not. Um, it never is. You know, yeah. So I just need to, and I, you know, I can play bass too. So I mean, I'm I'm not sold to playing guitar. Um, so I feel like I just need to find a guitarist or bassist or both and we can switch off and yeah. a drummer you know and somebody who can just sing or i can sing a few songs just something right just some some sort of outlet even if we just do bad covers you know and bad um, covers are fun. If, yeah oh yeah we used to do bad covers in my old band it was great
1: <laughs> next time i come up your way i'll have to bring i have a five string that i'm really fond of i'll bring her up your way yeah definitely but I just think that music as a communal outlet is so important, and in a world where there's this like you know purported loneliness epidemic, what better way to, you know, navigate that than to start playing more music together? Even if it's even if it's like bad art, better bad art than no art, right? I mean, like people bands like Crass still put music out, and people love Crass. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I like some, I like some of the deep, crass cuts, but I mean, if they can, if they can be hits making music that, you know, I think Pitchfork would probably hate, uh, then, I mean, Pitchfork will hate anything, but still.
0: Pitchfork gave Steely Dan albums like you know ones and twos. so I I, I still have beef sure. with Pitchfork. Then they went back and revised them, so you know I think they they, they resolved themselves. They did. They also went yeah. back and
1: revised like Taylor Swift reviews though, so I mean <laughs> you're the, the arbiters of taste that people my age would have you think it's all about uh, the you know need. What do you think about the needle drop, that guy? Oh, I don't know the needle drop guy. I don't. I can't remember. I'm so bad with these guys' names. Um, but there's this there's this one. Uh, like music influencer. He's actually on Connecticut public radio. uh, And he, um, what is this guy's name? I'm so bad about this. Anthony Fantano. Uh, Okay. Yeah. He's a music critic. uh, And he he mostly talks about uh, like alternative Mm. and also kind of like MC era, hip hop and rap. Um, Mm. And he's also harshly critical the way that Pitchfork is, but he has more reasonable justifications and he likes to talk a lot to his critics. So you should check his stuff out.
0: I'm surprised you haven't heard of
1: him. Yeah,
0: kid. I I haven't, but I'll definitely have to look him up. Um, I definitely some of the
1: stuff you're into. You got me into some of the MC era hip hop stuff, like LL Cool J uh, and Pink Cookies in a plastic bag and Christopher <laughs> Columbus. Of course. Uh, I got you onto that song. I don't have any recollection of that. That is definitely on one of the mixtapes you made, perhaps <laughs> for my mother, and not so much for. 11-year-old me uh, again.
0: I, I would I, hope not. Yeah, I think that was on your mom's mix, not yours. Oh, she used to play
1: that stuff for me all the time, Then and I'd be like, this is cool. I This will not alter my brain chemistry.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, she would always play the mixes you'd make for her for me, too. Um, so, I mean.
0: I think it, I tried, tried in vain. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried in vain to get her more into hip-hop and that sort of thing but I think I I, I gave up that. and just sort of putting more of the the you know the more radio friendly or you know not so hardcore MC type stuff on, on her mixes like LL and you yeah. know that sort of you thing you'd surprised but.
1: though she's very open minded with like 95% of stuff she just hates Sofjan Stevens uh, she, <laughs> she hates his she hates the lilt in his voice I think uh, and also to be fair like a lot of his I don't agree with a lot of the mixing and mastering of a lot of his newer albums but uh, she just we have like a running gag where every time I mention Sofjan she like gags <laughs> I
0: think apart from
1: that, she's like very open-minded musically. So maybe you should show her like MC Ren and see what she thinks. <laughs> or like, um, show, her, show her, X gonna give it to you. Oh, I I'm know sure. you're watching this. Open spot of.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's heard X gonna give it to you. That song was everywhere.
1: I'm, I'm I mean, perhaps, but no. Um, I do think that a lot of. And I think now that I'm an adult, she and I have been talking more about our musical tastes. I mean, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of – these days I listen to a lot of like funk and soul at work because it like helps keep me awake. And she's like, oh, didn't you listen to Never Too Much by Luther Vandross? And I'm like, I know a little bit of Luther, but not a lot. And that song is, again, like my entire personality. (laughs) Not a day goes by when I'm not just like, a thousand kisses for you is never too much. And I'm like, that's all (laughs) I mean. And I mean, I'm really into Teddy Pendergrass right now. He's like been getting me through. It's just been getting me through my work days. So I have like three main playlists I play at work. I have my Funk and Soul soundtrack that I curated. I have a Boston Nova <laughs> playlist, and it's called like it's like a Spotify like easy '70s playlist. And it's got like um Jim Crochet and like Gordon Lightfoot. And I know that you're more of a Carly person than a James person, but it's got lots of color. <laughs> My mom texted me and she's like, "Make, make, you know, you know, he likes Carly more than James." And I'm like, <laughs> "I am
0: Team Carly a thousand percent." I'm Team James.
1: I'm sorry. Uh,
0: listen, hey, I respect his music. it's just is not... one of the
1: best albums of all time.
0: Yeah, listen, I like some yeah. of his yeah. stuff, but he he just is not somebody I reach for to listen to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if no, he comes on the radio, I'm probably going to tr- switch the station. If Carly Simon comes on, I'm probably going to listen. You know, I'm not going to lie. Fair.
1: Boys in the yeah. Trees is a masterpiece, though. Yeah. And a lot of and your savvain is like probably one of the if you were to study the art and craft of songwriting your savvain is like definitely a song you should study, but
0: oh it's up there so wait that that's an interesting thread we can we can tackle. what are some other songs that you know were popular um dare I say hits but are like lessons in songwriting? I have Ooh. one, and you're probably gonna hate it, but I, I have to say it
1: let me let me check my playlist okay, I'm listening tell me tell me what yours is.
0: Uh, baby, one more time by Britney Spears. No, I but don't care what
1: pop songs it so is. It's got that four five one. No, you're so right. Speak your piece. I'm sorry. I,
0: I don't care what anybody says, and I, everybody can hate on Britney and hate the whole. It, it's not just a bop. It's it's a masterclass in songwriting, and I think Max, um, I can't think of his name. I think he wrote it. The guy that did like a lot of the the pop hits in the 90s. Um, just the structure of the song, and. I had this revelation with the song when I was in the band in the late 90s because I had bought myself a Korg keyboard um that was like a you know semi-professional performing well, professional i guess performing keyboard and it had this very ancient midi interface on it
1: oh man
0: and we were getting into songs that we didn't have instruments for and we wanted to be able to do more you know stuff that we could get better gigs with and in, in bars right because nobody wanted to hear like alice in chains and pearl jam oh, and i want to hear you know I wanna hear that Yeah, but the kind of places I wanted to play.
1: Do a mini cover.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We did. Well, we did trip it on a whole like you know organically. Yeah, great song, but we had to start peppering in some disco, some clubs, like you know, like some dance stuff, dance stuff, right, that sort of thing. So we had songs that already had keyboard parts in it. I bought this fancy keyboard and I started teaching myself how to program stuff. And at the time, like you know, with with the internet sort of being relatively young, um, you could just download all these pre-baked MIDI programs for like a lot of songs. Um, and I figured out a way to download them, throw them on a floppy disk, which my keyboard had on board. The floppy
1: disk um, comes back. <laughs> throw the
0: floppy disk in, and then I would have to put the MIDI file into Cakewalk if you remember Cakewalk. I do
1: remember cake, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. So I
0: would throw the <laughs> I would throw the MIDI file into Cakewalk make all the edits, right? And then assign all the instruments and, and look at the way things were structured. And then I'd have to download that into the keyboard and then go through and um, using the actual keyboard interface, map everything, all the different tracks to the, the different sounds that I wanted. Right, So, you know, horn stabs, I had to pick the one that sounded the most like the record. Um, we would do, you know, whatever, like synth parts or, you know, piano parts or whatever. And I have to pick the different instruments out of the banks of, of, of instruments on the keyboard. And then when I have a relatively finished product um my drummer would play along to this with a click track and his headphones and we were able to do like casey and the sunshine band and like all kinds of cool stuff that had like horns and keyboards and things that we couldn't play right so and didn't have the 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 personnel to do so anyway all this to say is um i found a website that had like a zip file of like 30 or 40 midi songs that was all like current popular stuff or you like you know pop songs and the Britney song was in there and I just threw it into Cakewalk to see what it looked like cuz I was joking with the band that we were going to cover it and I was looking at the song structure and listening to all the different parts and how it all kind of came together and I was like holy shit this is amazing <laughs> there's
1: a lot of moving parts in there and there's like there's a vocal harmony that you don't really listen to unless you really listen for the the I know so just in terms of like what makes a really effective catchy pop song with a hook that is really punchy and memorable. It's a bop. It works. <laughs> the best thing is it stands the test of time.
0: It does. It really it's does. it's evergreen. And you know Thanks. when when Fountains of Wayne covers it, you, you mm. just know it's a good song because it is. you know. It's true. Adam of- Schlesinger is one of the best songwriters of, of agree. our generation, I, I think. I exactly
1: agree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Katy Perry does a good cover of Hackensack, of all people. Yes, yes. I'm not her biggest fan, but uh, I didn't get to the cover. No. She does it in the original key, which I respect, because that's not an easy key to sing in, as no. I recently discovered. So I have two answers. And, and okay, I, great. I like pop music that's kind of refrain heavy. My first one is I Saw the Light by Todd Rundgren. Uh, yeah, I think it's really effective having the chorus just kind of be two lines long and kind of a refrain that you come back to. The rhyme scheme is very simple, but you know it doesn't have to be that overly dramatic. When that piano, um, that really punchy piano sound is really in there and and really guiding you forward and it's really driving. Uh, and the repetition of the "in my eyes" part at the end, like that's just—it's it, such a gratifying experience. The just the tension it builds and then just like the level of release in the repetition I think is really effective. And and also in terms of refrain-based music, which, again, is what I'm like really into right now, Ooh Child by the Five Stair Steps. Oh, yes. That is one of my favorite songs. Um, And, again, it's just – it's very simple – but it's got that um, that modulation halfway through the someday, that part, da, na, 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 when like it changes the key. I'm, I'm being ridiculous right now. Yes. But I, I think that that kind of does a similar thing to maybe Me Baby One More Time to help keep you engaged, uh, where it just like it builds on the complexity as it keeps going. Uh, and I think that's what makes for a really interesting songwriting, even though you know, the lyrics might be a little more simple, the chords might be a little more simple. But there are other things to add that delicious complexity that I think that you really latches on to
0: for sure and i i agree like it it builds into this sort of crescendo if you will i mean not not literally but like you know just conceptual crescendo yeah exactly and then it just sort of it just hits that that release when you get to the the chorus or the middle eight or what you know whatever part of the song so it's that that's that's just the key to to giving me chills when i'm listening
1: it's just Um, perfect
0: yeah yeah those are good examples um steely dan song that you think is the best in terms of not just you know liking, but in terms of songwriting it and again. really.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, okay, huh. so that's the one that comes to mind first. That and Midnight Cruiser is my favorite Celine Dan's song. Yes, so I plug that one. But I'll, um, I really like again ref- <laughs> the refrain again. I like that it's just like this oh, Michael, oh, Jesus. Yeah. oh Michael, Oh Jesus, Oh Michael oh Jesus I love the way they say that too Um, but in terms of actual artistry and songwriting it's gotta be a Midnight Cruiser the fact that it opens with like um almost not a condemnation but like an invitation like Thelonious my old friend like and you know he's referring like out to the ether because Thelonious monk had been long dead by the time this was being written Um, and just the wistful feeling that it's able to capture this like nostalgia for a place and time you've never felt before and I was taking this song really personally before I even knew what like loss was <laughs> it's like a strong emotion And I was like, oh, I just feel this, like, visceral grief from this song that, like, I I just feel like that you can take that on. And that's one of the things that Dan does really well is to evoke all these amazing emotions and stories that, like, you take that and and make that a part of yourself. And I think that Dan does that in a way that not a lot of other groups are able to do. Um, But I do think that Turn That Heartbeat Over Again is surprisingly good songwriting for being such an unpopular kind of, like, not as cool song from that album. (laughs)
0: There are so many deep Dan cuts that, that just hit a certain way for me that people, you know, like, you know, not the hits or not, not the popular yeah. choices, I guess. But um, one of the more popular ones, and I think my my personal favorite in terms of how the song is crafted and, and how things build is Gaucho.
1: Mm. Um, just, I love Gaucho.
0: It's just yeah. that soaring chorus when everything kind of kicks in and takes off. And,
1: it's that Sonic um, world I keep talking about. It's there yes. In the same way that, like um, – a lot of things on Asia are the same way. Like, even Peg, which is just a simple, like, linear song tell- songwriting story. You get wrapped up in, like, the da na na na, na, na Like, that that ostinato, just, it it just takes you. And Gaucho does the same thing. It's just, it, you forget about your life for a few minutes while Gaucho is on. And
0: that's kind of music
1: so I'm trying to write. As soon as someone will get me a, a brass band, damn it, and a brass band grant. <laughs>
0: we'll we'll take you to the Custard Dome.
1: Finally. This <laughs> dropped me off. Do a number there. <laughs> so,
0: do we miss anything? Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Because I think, you know, we're getting close to, yeah, to our time together. But I'm sure yeah. I'll be
1: on again sometime and I'll have plenty more Zeppelin stuff.
0: <laughs> you absolutely will. And we will definitely have to dig deeper into Zeppelin. Um, but, Cal, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Um, nice you having you me. didn't really have a choice, but
1: <laughs> I, know. I kind of did. I kind of did. <laughs> I gl- I'm, no. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're a willing participant oh, so I, I i appreciate it yes My but uh grabbing me absolutely and and lovely is always talking music with you and um yeah definitely have to have you back soon
1: would love to thank you so much
0: all right, i'll talk to you later if you've made it this far thanks for listening be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at oral mess video version, along with a playlist for each episode, is available on YouTube, and you can visit our website at ROMess.com. Until next time, this is Chad, signing off.